Hello, and welcome to Serene Reflections, a podcast of Dharma Talks from the Wallawa Buddhist Temple. I am Rev. Clarissa Beattie, a Zen monk and Buddhist priest from the mountains of Northeast Oregon, where we practice contemplative meditation, the Chan of Bodhidharma, the Zen of Dogen, the Serene Reflection Meditation of Rev. Master G.U. Kennett. You are invited to let yourself grow naturally still, to let go of the world for a while. Join us in listening in sound, in listening in stillness, turning within to listen from the heart that seeks the way. Here we have a poem written in the middle of the 19th century by Emily Dickinson. The bee is not afraid of me. The sentiments its verses evoke on feeling cut off from others are still very familiar to us now over 150 years later. On one level, this poem could be read simply as a wistful comment on the transience of summer. Leaning in a bit closer to listen, though, one can almost imagine the poet having come, perhaps, from some summertime social occasion, during which she was received coldly, or even frozen out, maybe, as group laughter and play died away awkwardly upon her joining some others, as in, I don't believe we've been introduced. The Poem The bee is not afraid of me. I know the butterfly. The pretty people in the woods receive me cordially. The brooks laugh louder when I come, the breezes madder play. Wherefore, mine eyes, thy silver mists, wherefore, O summer's day?
While on the surface the writer experiences the beauty and oneness around her on a lovely summer day in nature, on closer examination, this sensitivity only heightens a sense of separation from others of her own species by comparison. The bee, butterfly, brooks, and breeze accept me is the resentful implication, but achingly, why not the pretty people in polite society? Or might these slights have been imagined? The result of a habitual gauging of self-worth against the worthiness of others? And so, I will prefer the pretty people of the woods to you, pretty people, thank you. If you won't love me, I won't love you, so there. The whole day is then colored by that pricking of the tear ducts when one feels oneself spurned, even while surrounded on the surface by loveliness, as at a formal gathering in a garden, and bewildered as to why I find myself turning away and tearing up, questioning why things have to be this way. Wherefore, mine eyes, thy silver mists? Wherefore, O summer's day? And perhaps the tinge of critical eye misting up all the brightness of life mostly reflects one's own approach to interacting with the world from within the kind of bristly armored shell which might incline others to pull back before risking opening up themselves, out of fear, even. The more you read this poem over, the more you can sense a possible unseen context around the poem, some foregone posture of hurt and resentment juxtaposed with the apparent pleasantness of the day, a kind of walking through heaven while looking down. Comparing myself with others, comparing others with myself, Am I acceptable? Are they? This is no way to help myself, for in my heart it breeds only pain. This is no way to help others, for it only perpetuates harm. Such comparison appears in various forms of the thought that there are those others and then there is me. The sense of separation, the sense of a self apart from others. How may I overcome it? Why do we compare? There once was a time when I did not distinguish so sharply between myself and others, and at some point this must have shifted.
The seventh of the ten great precepts is, I will not be proud of myself and devalue others. It is sometimes stated as not putting yourself up and others down, and could be expressed just as well as not putting others up and yourself down. Either way of seeing the world creates a sense of separation, whether the assessment comes out glowing or harsh. Judging oneself or judging others, both are judgment. We cannot let go of others judging for them, but we can always let go of our own judging or at least work toward holding it ever more gently as it arises. Letting go of the self, letting go of forms, letting go of doubts, seeing the way free of habitual bondage, to my idea of myself, to mistaking external appearances for substance, and to an attitude of skepticism. Letting go of such delusory ideas which arise is how we may come to peace in this area of what we think of ourselves and what we think of others. The Dhammapada, Pali for Verses of Teaching, is one of the earliest known Buddhist scriptures, thought to be the sayings of the Buddha Shakyamuni himself. It is a collection of his words of direct teaching offered in person to various renunciants and householders whose life paths crossed with his in northern India over 25 centuries ago. These diverse short teachings may stand alone, and they may come alive in the ancient commentary, which offers us the context of each situation which led up to the Buddha's offering of teaching. And as we hear them, the centuries dissolve, and the stories could be about any of us today. In the chapter known as Blossoms, chapter 4, verse 50 of the Dhammapada, the Buddha said, One should not consider the faults of others, nor their doing or not doing good or bad deeds, one should consider only whether one has oneself done or not done good or bad deeds. This is wise counsel born of direct experience. Never mind what others are getting up to, what am I doing? 
So how did the Buddha come to say this, and to whom? And to where is he pointing for me? Here in the commentary is the backstory to this direct teaching. The Story of the Ascetic Paveya While residing at the Jetavana Monastery, the Buddha uttered verse 50 with reference to the ascetic Paveya and a rich lady. A rich lady of Savati had adopted Paveya, an ascetic, as a son and was looking after his needs. When she heard her neighbors talking in praise of the Buddha, she wished very much to invite him to her house to offer him alms food. So the Buddha was invited and choice food was offered. As the Buddha was expressing appreciation, Anumodana, Paveya, who was in the next room, fumed with rage. He blamed and cursed the lady for venerating the Buddha. The lady heard him cursing and shouting and felt so ashamed that she could not concentrate on what the Buddha was saying. The Buddha told her not to be concerned about those curses and threats, but to concentrate only on her own good and bad deeds. Then the Buddha spoke in verse as follows. One should not consider the faults of others, nor their doing or not doing good or bad deeds. One should consider only whether one has oneself done or not done good or bad deeds. At the end of the discourse, the rich lady attained sotapati fruition or stream entry, that is, the recognition of and setting forth on the path that leads to liberation by letting go of the separate self, letting go of clinging to appearances, letting go of the doubting mind. Was the devout lady ashamed because she was embarrassed for Paveya, for his inappropriate behavior in the Buddha's presence, that it might displease the Buddha or reflect on her? Was she sorry that she'd been so generous to Paveya when now he was exhibiting unenlightened action? Did she fear his anger would negate her offerings to him? Was she worried what the neighbors might think of her? In the end, the specifics of her concerns do not matter, for in the next moment, the lady finally was able to let go of them and move beyond the perception of self versus other, realizing as she did that I alone am responsible for how I see myself and others, and for my own actions. We each have a choice as to how we respond to others.
whatever they may say or do, whatever our own past responses. Realizing this is possible when we relax our grip on the persistent self-absorption of pride or inadequacy, when we accept the equality of our own and others' Buddha nature, and hence our connection to all things. And then we know the work to be done. The Buddha counseled this sincere woman not to be concerned about what Paveya thought of her, not to fear the angry threats, but to concentrate only on her own good and bad deeds. When the lady then looked into her own heart, did she see that her own deeds had been genuinely charitable, first toward Paveya and then toward the Buddha? Might she also have glimpsed something self-absorbed in her motivations? To lavish the care of a mother upon an ascetic renunciant? Did it suddenly clarify that she had been offering alms out of fear or guilt or unworthiness or with expectation of something in return? Did she also in that moment come to hold all this clear seeing of herself and others gently, not pushing it away, not indulging it, able then simply to carry on with her life of sincere practice just as it arose? What could Paveya have seen were he to have looked into his own heart? At root, his anger must have arisen out of fear. Paveya was an ascetic. Did he tend to judge himself and subject himself to harsh practices, pushing away the love and kindness offered to him by others? Did he compare himself with the Buddha and find himself or the Buddha lacking? Might Paveya have chosen to come in from that other room where he was separate from the others to receive the Buddha's offering of teaching? His name has gone down in religious history as someone who demonstrates how not to behave. Thus his life has become an offering after all, despite his fog of ignorance and upset. Paveya had the Buddha nature just like everyone else, and so, through his example, he becomes a Buddha who shows us what not to do. In a talk at the Spring Meditation Retreat of 1980, Reverend Master G.U. Kennett said, Opposites can only exist when we have not yet transcended them. When they have been transcended, every day is a good day, as Kazan says, and all work is the work of the Buddha. 
At this time, there is no such thing as good and bad, like and dislike. There is only the positivity that lies beyond these opposites. Remember also it is a positivity that does not require positivity, a truth that does not insist upon truth. It is a love that does not insist upon being loved, but loves for the sake of loving. This is why we should be very careful of not judging ourselves. Since the Lord of the house does not judge us, why are we so stupid as to live within the opposites and judge ourselves? In real life, sometimes I am in the role of Paveya the ascetic. Sometimes I am in the role of the lady. Sometimes, blinking in surprise perhaps, I may even find myself in the role of the Buddha. When my habitual karmic tendencies are heavy, like Paveya's, I may need to work very hard to swim against the strong current which pulls me. When I am close to ready, like the generous lady, it may take just the slightest of nudges. Just a single drop in the bucket may be what causes it to overflow, and my entire world view can change in an instant. If only I will let go. Always, at any moment, I can turn my heart around. I can open to the deeper truth within the external circumstances of my life. The Buddha pointed the good woman, who was open to hearing his teaching, to look directly into her own heart for the teaching there for her which she found right there and immediately followed, for her own benefit and for ours. The Buddha's teaching is not stern or harsh or judgmental. It is compassionate, loving, and wise. And it is very clear. It is all around us. And when we get still, it is waiting to be seen within. In the present moment, I am mostly unaware of how I got to where I am right now. And here I am. In every moment, I can start over. 
Every breath is the opportunity to let go or to wake up or to turn around. At every instant, I have the opportunity to open to what truly matters, to my deepest wish, my purest intention, and to set foot on the path toward liberation. Then, bees are just good old bees, and butterflies, beautiful butterflies, and pretty people are merely pretty people. Whether they receive me cordially or not, I can receive them cordially, and laugh, and play, and truly see all sorts of people just as they are including myself, just as I really am, a Buddha, as is everyone else, each in our own way. Then the silver mists in mine own eyes may be quickly dried, and a summer's day may simply be a lovely summer's day, as it has always been. And without being of the world, I will be in it, and one with it, and with everything, and not miss it, not for all my wee troubles and needless tears, not for all the world. Thank you for joining us in listening to Serene Reflections from the Heart That Seeks the Way. To learn more about this practice, including more about how to meditate, you are invited to visit our website at walawabuddhisttemple.org. Here, in the Kanzayan Shrine of our Meditation Hall, we offer the merit of our practice of serene reflection meditation to all beings including you, wherever you may be.